respect that we get for graphic novels is because of the work that Calvin did at Publishers Weekly. So thank you for that. Um, well, thank you. But what about me? So uh, <laughs> yes, yes. I, uh, I've worked in comics since 1990. Uh, I, I was on another panel. I'm, I'm a little bit kind of like Forrest Gump of comics. I worked for Eclipse in 1990 for Dean Mullaney and Cat Ironwood. Uh, I went from there to Dark Horse Comics, where I worked for Mike Richardson and Bob Shrek. Uh, from there, I went uh, to graduate school, and then I came back. I worked at Wildstorm, so I worked for John Nee and Jim Lee at Wildstorm uh, for a number of years. Then I worked for Todd McFarlane um, for a couple of years. And then I started IDW in 1999. And we're celebrating our 20th anniversary this year. I was the company's CEO and publisher for 19 of those 20 years. And uh, certainly that company grew uh, to be significantly bigger than we ever anticipated. We had a very small office here in San Diego when we started uh, and, and has grown into the, to the company that it is today. What I found over the years, I, I, was, I uh, enjoyed my job for those 19 years, although the job became uh, much bigger than I ever expected. And, um, you know, I hear this... Uh, a lot of talk about trying to find joy in your life, and uh, I just frankly didn't have a lot of joy in my life as CEO of a public company and, and uh, had a lot of responsibilities that, uh, that just frankly weren't a lot of fun. So I quit that job about a year ago and decided to uh, try it again, to do it again. So um, we're doing a new startup publishing business, and one of my business partners, Elaine, raise your hand, is here. Um, so I, uh, Elaine is one of the business partners. Uh, uh, Robbie Robbins, who I started IDW with, is another one of my business partners, and Nate Murray uh, is uh, the fourth. And what we're doing is we um, we want to be small. So IDW grew to be quite large, and at Clover Press, our my new entity, we want to be very small. And we define ourselves really in three ways. Uh, we're going to be a progressive publisher, we're going to be a boutique publisher, and we're going to be an eclectic publisher. And so uh, our ambition is to do a very small number of books, but to do them well, and to focus as much on the marketing and sales of those books as we do on the editorial content. And uh, that's what we're up to. We're, uh, as far as our distribution strategy, we are, uh, our intent is to have a direct-to-consumer approach initially. So we're going to sell via crowdsourcing or via uh, our own readers and, and uh, our own newsletter. So we're going to do direct-to-consumer first and then follow that up with traditional uh, distribution through comic shops and bookstores. Great. Liz? Hi, I'd like to thank Calvin and Heidi for inviting me to be on this panel. It's my first panel ever. And I don't have any books out yet, so why am I here? I don't know. But um, I spent over 15 years in the book publishing industry as a book designer and then as an art director, most recently at Scholastic. And um, I love making books. That's what I do. Um, I definitely come to this panel from more of a book publishing perspective than most of all of you who come to it more from comics. Um, but I fell in love with graphic novels, um, especially nonfiction graphic novels. And um, after the 2016 presidential election, when our lives all turned upside down, um, I did some soul searching and decided trying to figure out how I could make a difference and maybe how by not, by my inaction in the past, maybe I had been part of the problem. And so um, I decided I needed to contribute to building a world that was better 
than this world that I saw around me. And the only way I know how to do that is through making books. So I'm starting Street Noise Books um, as a YA nonfiction graphic novel publishing company. And um, we will be doing also some heavily illustrated nonfiction, which isn't actually graphic novels, but primarily um, we're focusing on graphic novel memoir. So we're very focused on the whole genre of own voices. And um, we're looking particularly to provide a platform for the voices of marginalized people um, so that people can share their truth and in that way we can build compassion in our population because I believe that um, if we truly know what each other's lives are like, it's very hard to uh, have to be dismissive and to make policy that um, is hateful and hurtful if you know who this is this policy is affecting and um, and what the realities of people's lives are all about. And I think that the nonfiction graphic novel genre is an incredibly powerful one. Um, I'm just really blown away by the impact that someone's own hand can have in creating a world that you have to absorb their perspective on through their hand, through their artwork, and their their words. Um, all of you who've been in the comics world for longer, you all probably have probably figured that out a long time before I did, but um, I'm just really uh, enamored with that genre, and we're launching our publishing company next year with six titles in 2020. The first two are coming out in April, um, and we're very excited. I'll tell you more about it later. Okay. Great. Tyler. My name is uh, Tyler Chintaner. Um, the co-founder and publisher of Away Blue World. As Calvin mentioned, I actually founded the company in 2005. That was the year before my final year at art school because, you know, nothing qualifies you for being a publisher like going to art school. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I made the leap because I wanted to publish the content that I wanted to create uh, and do things the way that I wanted to do it. And for the, so for the first number of years, I was mostly publishing my own content, uh, working with creators to do that, so I guess a bit more of a, a self-publisher. Um, through digital and through Kickstarter, um, I grew the company, I took on, started working with more creators, mostly through the anthologies, and what I found out was there were creators that wanted to also publish in, in the way that I was, the model that I was using. So I started doing more creator-owned projects, and that just led to a point where the, the company was growing, and so I made the leap to be more of a publisher, you know, this, this past year, which I guess qualifies me for being on the panel for new, new publishers. Um, and uh, we've been doing uh, graphic novels, uh, anthologies, and art books, did some high-end art books as well. We were focusing on the book market, which things are going in that direction, but we also just recently launched a new program called the uh, Premier Edition Program, which uh, launches a first issue on a series and then goes directly to a graphic novel. Just our way of like looking at where the industry is going and, and then to serialize, uh, especially when it was stretched out, wasn't, wasn't working as well, especially for small publishers. Uh, so that's our new initiative that we've been doing now. Um, we're having those first two issues come out in October and then the uh, trade paperback collections will be in December. So that's us just trying to 
you know, look at the industry, where it's going, and do something that matches it. Great. Andrew. Uh, hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Andrew Arnold. I, I too, want to thank uh, Calvin and Heidi and yeah, and you're, you're right. I'm, and I neg the, neglected to mention that my my co-host and, and former colleague, um, but she's still my colleague, really, uh, Heidi McDonald, really is responsible for organizing and putting the panel together. So, thank you, Heidi. Shout out to Heidi. Um, but yeah, I, I am. Uh, I just uh, we just launched Harper Alley, um, which is an imprint of Harper Collins Children's Books. Last Thursday, <laughs> so it's like really new. <laughs> Although I've been chasing you around for about three months, but that's all right. <laughs> yeah, I joined, joined uh, Harper Collins, <coughs> Harper Collins, in February. Um, before that, I was actually an art director as well at um, First Second Books, where I, I got to work with a lot of really awesome cartoonists like Jean uh, Yang or Jin Wang or Vera Brosgold. Um And I've sort of <laughs> I've had a lot of jobs in comics over the years. Designer, marketing, advertising. Uh, I went to the Center for Cartoon Studies back then when it first opened. Uh, you know that school is really tiny comics school in Vermont where you know it's really cold all the time, so it's like cartooning season. So you're there making comics, and, and when you're there, you're basically you know learning the nuts and bolts of making your own stories, writing your own stories in comics, and then how you can like figure out how to get them out into the world, like market yourself. Um, and, I'll, and I'll be honest. Back then, I didn't know where my like journey in, in this in this like business was going to go. And like, I'm really surprised that I'm up here right now doing having this conversation on this panel with all these awesome you know people. But um, so yeah, Harper Harper Alley is it's a uh, we're a part of the kids group. So right now, our mission is to publish um, graphic novels for. Young adult readers, middle grade readers, and early readers, but we're not closing the door on the adult. We like to think that our books are for readers of all ages, and because we have a general division that is like an adult-focused division, uh, where we're, we're keeping the door open to hopefully publishing adult-specific titles. But um, for now, that's sort of where we're at, um, and we're going to launch in the fall of 2020. Um, we're going to have about ten books on the lit on that list, um, and the great thing about Harper Alley is that it's a it's a small it's a small publisher right now, but it's a part of this of, of a bigger of a bigger um, company with um, a really rich backlist and really and a real strong like uh, there are several boutique publishers there already, and so all of the great editors who have been acquiring comics over the last you know ten fifteen years however long you want to say it's been. Uh, we're going to continue to keep publishing them, and we'll just we're going to work together, and it's all going to sort of be a part of Harper Rally, but also retain that boutique uh, publishers like brand and mark. So it's real collaborative, and, uh, and we're really we're really pumped. So Harper Rally, <laughs> <laughs> great, Stuart, you made it. Yeah. What, what was the question? <laughs> oh, the question is, uh, tell us about your background uh, and, you know, what, I mean, you obviously, you've been in uh, this business for a long time. Well, tell us a little bit about your background, but also, um, why start a new publishing house now? Right. Um, well, uh, first of all, I, I, I apologize for being late, and I will point out, I am the first thing that Ahoy Comics has shipped late. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so that's, that's something. Um I unlike I guess probably unlike almost everyone on this um, on this panel, I didn't decide to start a publishing house. 
And I don't know if that makes me smarter than everyone else or just lazier, <laughs> but it's one or the other. Um, my, uh, basically, uh, Ahoy Comics is the brainchild of um, my old friend Tom Pyre, who serves as the editor-in-chief, and uh, a retired journalist named Hart Seeley, who's also a writer who had, uh, and he and Tom have collaborated on several books. Tom and I um, worked together on, as editors uh, on the early days of the Vertigo imprint at DC Comics. And we kept in touch. We're both primarily writers at this point. Um, but early on, they brought me in to, uh, uh, to consult, and they uh, acquired a couple of my projects, um, which, I've, which I've put together, working closely with them. Um, and as time went along, um, well, <laughs> not to get too deep in the weeds, but we had a, a brilliant guy named Sven Larsen doing our um, publishing operations. And he and I drove down to Diamond Distributors to make the pitch for the company about a year and a half ago. Uh, went very well, accepted it on the spot, we were really happy about it. And the next day he called me and said, I'm taking a vice president's job at Marvel. So that left a bit of a gap in the, uh, in the operations level of the company. And I hadn't really done that before, but I've stepped into most of it and we've gotten help as needed for production and we now have a, a new marketing person um, working with me a bit. Um, and that's been um, that's been interesting. That's been a real um, it's been a real education. Um, so I'm kind of the um, I'm I'm strictly freelance, and I still write for DC. And I um, I've, I've just had an X-Men novel come out actually. Um, but I uh, but I'm kind of the um, the hub at the center of the wheel. That's a way I keep the scheduling. I work with Diamond. I make sure everything um, everyone has the information and materials that they need to uh, to make the rest of it happen. And in the meantime, I edit two of my own books, Captain Ginger, which is about a uh, starship crewed by cats, and uh, and Bronze Age Boogie, which is my uh, 70s um, genre mashup. It's coming out right now. So, um, so yeah, it's um, it's going very well. I have never um, the, the, the so Stu, if I excuse me for interrupting, maybe what, the question I should have asked is what was Tom's? I, what was why, Tom's why did he start the Boy Comics? Yeah, um, I I think he um, well, I think he felt. Uh, he felt there was a um, there was a there was a sensibility that wasn't being um, properly addressed within the comics industry, and I can't um, I can't speak for him entirely, obviously. But uh, our sh internal shorthand when we were starting up the um, the company was Funny Vertigo, um, <laughs> which we kind of like, okay. It, 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 and most of the books fall into that category. And um, Ahoy's recent big success has been the book Second Coming, which we actually picked up when DC Comics dropped it. And that came out... Was it a Vertigo book? It was going to yes, be Vertigo. Yes, yes. Funny, yeah. huh? But it, it, yes, it was, a little, it was a little too funny for Vertigo, yes. actually. <laughs> yes. Um, but at, plus it was about Jesus Christ moving in with a superhero, and they just backed away from the content at a certain point. Yeah. Um, but that's... Um, but that came out, and that was almost like we had sort of built this whole engine, and we, it was like we were beaming signals to the stars, and Second Coming just came down and fit within the line absolutely perfectly. Um, the books are published as, um, in, as single-issue comics in seasons of four to six issues apiece, then collected into trade paperbacks. They're meant to return. Um, we are still doing it in that format through the direct market. It's working for us so far. Um, some books obviously sell better than others. Second Coming has been a sort of a, a quantum leap in terms of visibility and sales for the company. We're really excited about that. Great. Uh, Sebastian. 
room for one more. <laughs> um, well, first of all, thank you, Calvin, and thank you, Heidi. Yes. I'm excited to be on the stage um, with all these wonderful publishers. Um, forgive me if I'm a little disorganized. I only knew that I was coming to this panel a couple hours ago because um, I'm not the publisher of TKO Studios. Um, our publisher is Yichun, who sadly could not make it here today. Um, I'm the editor-in-chief, so I will do my best to uh, represent uh, TKO Studios. Um, I've been in comics for a little over, I think about 11 years now, um, so not as long as most, but longer than some others. Um, I started off as an editor for Marvel Comics, um, where I worked um, until I think around 2012. Um, that's where I quit my job there. I found myself um, just kind of being in the right place at the right time, um, when there was suddenly kind of a, a bloom, a blossom of, of creator-owned comics coming out, mainly through Image, and a lot of creators um, were suddenly in the market for a freelance comic book editor, which there's like a couple of us. Um, so I was in a strange and fortuitous situation where I was quickly working as a freelance editor full-time again on comic books. Um, like I said, mainly through Image, a couple of other publishers. So I spent around six years, so a good while longer than I was ever at Marvel working on freelance creator-owned comics with um, our creators like Rick Remender and Wes Craig on Deadly Class. Um, I edited Southern Bastards with uh, Jason's, Jason Aaron Latour. Mm -hmm. Great book. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Terrific book. Um, I like that one. Um, <laughs> so fast forward to around two and a half, three years ago when I was reached out to by Zhu Chun, the publisher of Tokyo Studios, who is um, an independent, came up through independent film as a writer-director. At the time was, I think, writing for um, ever after, but very quickly became um, the writer and showrunner on Gotham. So he was a longtime comic book fan, um, himself a writer, um, director, and he had a, uh, a longtime business colleague and kind of mentor figure, Salvador Simeon, who came from the world of, um, of software and finance, and they just wanted to have a conversation with me about uh, making, uh, starting a comic book publisher. And that took several months to talk about, but what came out of it ultimately was the plan to launch what would become TKO Studios, um, which launched last December. So we're still pretty new. And we do things a little bit differently. Um, first of all, the TKO binge releases. So in December, we launched with uh, four series um, in six issues each, which if you go to our website, TKO Studios, uh, no, TKOpresents.com, um, the day we launched, the day we announced, basically, you could get all four series in different formats. You can get them digitally, you can download them immediately, um, you can get them in single issues, all of which come in like a very handsome slipcase cover, because we also, our format is a little bit bigger than um, regular comics. And you can just also get a nice trade paperback. So all of those are immediately available. Um, you can read them immediately, we can ship them to your house, you can ship them to comic book stores. Um, which brings us to the second, uh, probably the most defining thing about TKO Studios um, for a comic publisher is that we go, we don't go through diamond. Um, retailer, um, fulfillment, um, transportation, all of that is done by us. Uh, we have some uh, some logistical framework to be able to pull from from selling or sending on this um, sister company. Um, and beyond that, it's, um, let me touch my thoughts for a second. 
Um, in terms of the kind of books we do right now, like I said, we're, we, we started out, um, our second wave is coming out um, in about a month or two. Um, and so far, we're doing kind of elevated genre of fiction um, for mature readers. Um, what the future holds, I'm hoping we'll be able to branch out, but that's kind of where we wanted to start. Um, it was really about growing TKO as something that kind of help, would help modernize the comic market. Um, we felt strongly that the readership that is out there, not necessarily per, you know, current comic book readers, even though, of course, we also want those three our comics, but really just maybe people who haven't read a comic before because they don't know that you need to go into a comic book store to get them, um, maybe go to a bookstore, but you don't know where to start. Um, one of the things I failed to mention is that the first issue of every um, one of our books is free to read online all the time. So it's very easy to get into. If you like it, you immediately purchase it or come back some other time and we'll have some more comics for you. Um, so kind of creatively, we were we were looking at a lot of wonderful books that are being done by a lot of different publishers and we're like, I don't think it's the creative element that's keeping people from coming to comics. We really thought that it was something about the market that really hadn't changed in almost three centuries. Uh, Centuries. <laughs> 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 so Sebastian, if I could just jump in for yeah, a second. I, I'm curious, did, did you think the market was um, lacking in what the, the kinds of stories? You obviously you you have an unusual way of delivering, um, uh, you know, all the formats at once. It's yeah. Kind of unusual. Yeah. What was that? What were you trying to? What role or what what gap in the market were you looking at? Right. Um, in terms of the, the conversations I had with Z um, and Sal at the start, where I was in a unique position because I had worked at, for Marvel as a you know an editor of work for hire, like these classic characters have been around forever, and um, then I also had the uh, great privilege and, and uh, work uh, load to work with creator-owned comics where. Uh, the tables are kind of flipped because you're working, of course, with creators, with artists, writers who are getting to tell their own stories that they own completely. Um, there's a lot more heart that goes into those kind of stories, not knocking work for hire work, but it's it's different from building a house from scratch um, than it is like to, you know, here's the Wolverine mansion, it's a terrible analogy, I'm sorry. Um, it's just a different uh, creative process. So when we started talking, I think that I we quickly decided that we kind of want to be open to any kind of genre, really. Barring, there's only two things we don't do. It's superheroes and it's space opera, so Star Wars, basically. So we felt like those two markets are potentially pretty well saturated. Um, but anything else we felt um, is really wide open because we're looking at, you know, a comic book field that has all kinds of amazing stories coming out. So we didn't really feel it was the kinds of stories that were being told. We really, and this is where I was very excited to work with, with Z and Sal, were coming to the comic book market as fans and readers, but weren't, um, didn't know the intricacies of the comic book market. So when I laid it out to them to the best of my extent, and they looked at it and they were like, do we have to go through the direct market? And I was like, you don't have to, but no one's ever tried not to. And they're like, oh, we'll try that. Um, so that was a crazy, you know, moment for me. Um, it's been very exciting to to take what is ostensibly a very big risk and um, knock on all the wood. Um, so far, we've seen that it's it's been a great success. We launched in December. Um, you know, there's a lot of just logistical. We're in pretty new ground in that regard. 
Um, but from retailers through readers through you know, booksellers, libraries, like everyone's been really receptive to us. The books have been um, going really well, and you know we're just getting started. So all right, I'm going to I'm going to get right back yeah, to you. But I want to jump. We're going to jump back to this end of the table, and. Um, Maybe you could get you to get to, to drill down a little deep. I mean, you are, I, I'd love to know a little bit about your business model, but you've got, you've got a number of them <laughs> here. You, you, uh, uh, particularly the crowdfunded aspect of it. I mean, where do you see a, a target market, either the direct market, the book trade, for what you're doing? Or yeah, I mean, we're more. I think we're a little more reader focused, mm -hmm. and so our intention. You know, I mentioned earlier that we're going to spend as much energy on the marketing and sales as we do on the editorial, and and by that I mean that we want to make sure that we we know who we're going to sell our who's going to read our books. And so, uh, for an example, our first book is actually going to be we're republishing a book called The Royal Book of Oz. Uh, I'm sure everybody's familiar with the the Wizard of Oz. But, uh, that book and 13 more Oz books were written by a guy named L. Frank Baum, who actually wrote some of them here in Coronado. Uh, when he died, his wife and his publisher brought on uh, a, a female writer named Ruth Thompson, and she wrote this book called Royal Book of Oz. And so we are we're we're essentially bringing this to a new audience. And what we've done is we've hired Sarah Richard who was an artist that we worked with at IDW to do the cover and interior illustrations. And the, the, way, we, the way we want to sell this book is a couple of ways. We, we, it's a great children's book. It's a uh, forgotten part of sort of fantasy literature. And she is arguably the first sort of famous female fantasy writer uh, who's really been forgotten to time. And so uh, we want to reintroduce her we want to uh, do it in a way that it will will appeal to fans of the Oz books, of course, but we are also hopeful that maybe we can tap into some of the energy that uh, J.K. Rowling created with the Harry Potter books. And she was really, Ruth Thompson was really a predecessor of her. Um, so in that case, we're, what we're doing is we're going to do crowdsourcing initially, focusing on Oz collectors and focusing our marketing on telling the story of Ruth Thompson. So once we feel like we've captured as many readers as we can via that method, then we will do the traditional distribution. So we will be doing uh, distribution through comic stores, of course, through Diamond. Uh, Diamond will also hand our, handle our North American uh, bookstore distribution, and we're using a UK distributor uh, called Turnaround Books for UK and the rest of the world. So our intention is to really, uh, as much as we can, fully exploit direct to consumer, finding as many readers as we can, build an audience there, and then and then build on that to go to uh, to the more traditional markets. I um, we're very intentionally not going to be doing uh, periodical floppy comic books. I don't think the world needs another floppy focused direct market publisher. Um, I, I have been a long believer that the direct market is unbelievably oversaturated, and I, I certainly was a big part of that when I was publishing you know 60, 70 books a month at IDW. Um, the market, the catalog, the previous catalog is absurd. Um, it's just, it's too many, it's too many product decisions for a retailer. It's too many product decisions for a consumer. It's just not a, not a good way to, to do things. With that said, I, you know, the, uh, um, I love Ahoy Comics. I, um, actually, I picked up every single thing that they've done in floppy form and I like it and I'm glad that they, I'm glad that they took that risk. But, um, but I don't think the world needs another, another publisher like that. So when we do graphic novels, they will be original graphic novels. We're going to break format a little bit. Um, Robbie and I at IDW, we, uh, we broke format. Initially, we came out. We were the first company, for better or worse, to publish comics at three ninety nine. We got away with it because we were uh, we really increased the print production quality. So we were printing on uh, really superior paper, both interior and cover. Well, we were focused on making sure that our printing was uh, that was would justify that three ninety nine price. 
Uh, bear in mind, this was 19 years ago. Or we're, our first comic was probably 17 years ago. Um, and uh, so we, we sort of broke format with price then and, and with the quality of the printing. We broke format again with the artist editions, uh, with the micro-comic fun packs. And uh, we believe we have a new format for original graphic novels that uh, that'll be um, something that allows us to do that again. Uh, Liz, um, if you talked a little bit about your line, um, now do you have books, bookstore distribution at this point? We are very close to signing a contract with a distributor, but I can't talk sure. about it quite yet. But it's a very uh, reputable, fabulous distributor, and um, I'm very excited about that because. Um, I, I'm approaching this from a book publishing perspective, so that's how I know how to do books, is through bookstores. Um, I also love comic book stores, so it would be great to have our books on the, in the graphic novel section of comic book stores, but our main focus is bookstores and bookstore distribution, and, um, we're using a traditional publishing model. I think it's amazing what's happening with, um, all the variations of self-publishing and hybrids, and I think it's really great uh, that creators are finding so many fabulous ways to get their work out there. Um, but as I said, I come at it from a from a big publisher perspective, so that's what I know. Um, so we're paying um, royalties and advances to our authors, um, but. Because we're a small indie publisher, we are able to take more risks than I, I've seen done at most of the big big publishers. So um, it's really an honor to be working with debut authors, people who maybe some of our authors didn't even know they wanted to write a, a graphic novel memoir until they started talking to me, and then <laughs> they said, maybe that's what I want to do. And so, um, so you're developing a lot of material, uh, yes. from what I can understand. Now, are you working with agents as well? Not as of right now. Mm -hmm. um, everybody's unagented. Um, that's just sort of the way it's happened, and it's been a great sort of grassroots kind of um, process. I've been going to zine fests and comic arts festivals and um, all sorts of little very small cons and just reaching out to people. I, I love anthologies because I can spot my, my perspective is coming to this from an art director perspective. So I always can tell like this whether whether somebody's art speaks to me in particular, and then if it does, then I reach out to them and say, hey, do you ever, have you ever thought about doing something longer format, something autobiographical, maybe? And um, it's it's just been a really great process, but it's, it is definitely more, uh, it's a little more nerve-wracking um, and a lot more labor-intensive to be working with people who've never done this before. Sure. Yeah. Um, uh, Tyler, I, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your your premiere program, but also I mean, about your artists and we, where you're finding them and how you're developing them. Yeah, sure. Um, so the premiere program, as, as I mentioned a little bit uh, in my intro, the idea is that if we have a, um, a property that's pretty much a graphic novel size, but can be broken down into five or six issues. What we'll do is we're actually going to go back to printing um, a first issue. 
we were for a while we weren't even doing that as you were saying the, the, the market was saturated we we're just going straight to graphic novels anthologies art books uh, but I also wanted to tie in the comic book stores a little bit more because I felt as if especially since these are brand new and create your own properties just be like here's a new book you know to, to, to buy it that's a bit of a jump too so I was wondering if there was some way to kind of go in the middle and get both sides. So we're gonna do one print issue, the first issue, which everyone loves. We're gonna put some exclusive content in there. We have some uh, character design, some process stuff, make it a little bit more fun. Um, then to provide some options, what we'll do is digitally, uh, every two weeks will be the next issue, which will speed the process up a little bit, and then the book, which is ready to go, will come out two months later. Uh, because I think that was one of the other issues, along with just being too many comic books out there, you'd have independent series that took a while to come out um, before, and we're all reading this like a, a single story arc, right? And so to, to wait to read the next issue, even if it was just a month, is, is kind of a long gap. So we just sort of sped that process up, went from single issue to get your introduction. If you really like the serialized method, you can go online to read it that way, and then we'll have the full book for you within those two months. So it's, it's, it's sort of like it's sort of like what you know TK was going to bring in a little bit more like the the binge, um, and then also limiting the amount of periodicals. And so it, it only starts this October. So so far the reaction seems to be pretty good. I won't know until these first two issues come out in October and the trades in December. Um, and those two titles are Amezo, which is a story that I'm writing. It's a a Mayan American inspired fantasy epic, and then Dead Legends, which is sort of a throwback kung fu uh, action adventure. Um, those two issues will debut around New York Comic Con, and then, as I said, the trade after the holiday. Hopefully, that'll go well, and we'll have more for you in 2020. We do have some new properties lined up, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, you want me to get into artists real fast? Um, well, one thing I could, you're, yeah, yeah, so mostly creator, creator owned. Oh, yeah, yeah, so these are. Uh, they're either my creator-owned project, like Mezzo is, or somebody else's that I've signed on. And yeah, it's, it's creator-owned. They keep the they keep the rights for it, and we yeah. do some sort of combination of, of royalty and, and back end. Yeah. And and how are you finding your artists? Are you using agents, or are you just, you know, you, funny, going out looking for them? Or what? <laughs> Both artists for these series are Kubert uh, graduates, which is the yeah, art school that sure. I went to. Um, so that's one way I find good good um, farming uh, system right there. But other than that, I mean, online, at conventions, I mean, wherever, I don't really limit it to anything, any artist that I, that like, looks like they're good, or, or we also just take submissions, too. A lot of properties just come to me with an artist and writer usually uh, paired together, so it's pretty open, okay. We're, we don't limit ourselves to any art style or background. All right, I'm going to jump down there because we, we're running out of time. Um, I, I, very quickly, Andrew, I'm curious. Uh, Harp, you were launching a new graphic novel imprint, but there's been graphic novels published for quite a time at HarperCollins. And how is that going to function with the new imprint? The backlist, basically. Well, yeah, we're actually um, still you know, figuring all that out, yeah. how it's going to fit in with you know, Harper Alley. Um, but like I was saying earlier, the cool, I mean, it's, I think it's great that there have been so many editors at HarperCollins that have already been aggressively acquiring comics for the last several years. You know, I mean, Nimona was published by Harper mm -hmm. and Collins yeah. several years ago, and that was just 
you know, I mean, it's one of it's one of the top selling YA graphic novels to date. So, yeah, um, the, the, Harper publishes uh, Understanding Comics. I mean, the whole trilogy by Scott McCloud, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, you are not mistaken. All right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so we're gonna we're, 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 we're I'm sort of I'm there. So my my expertise, I guess, is, is graphic novels. So um, you know, even though there have been editors there that are, are acquiring that I've been acquiring them. Uh, they they haven't been specifically acquiring. They're they're like acquiring YA novels or middle grade novels or early reader or picture books or stuff like that. I'm there to specifically acquire and and publish comics. So you know they can use me as a resource, as someone to just bounce ideas off of, or get you know a, a something if an editor gets a submission, they can ask me what I think and they can offer my 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 two cents. So it's very collaborative, and I think that's one of the that's that, that's. That's uh, a strength, I, I think, uh, for Harper Collins kids as a whole, but also for Harper Collins or for Harper Alley specifically too. Um, cool. um, Stuart, uh, Ahoy publishes a it's a it's a sort of a magazine. Your your works are collected. Is that, am I right? Well, the um, we we uh, in our initial publicity, especially, we call the uh, comic books comic magazines because they tend to have a lot of a lot of extra features in the back, and that's a um, that's a, it, it's, it, it, it's a, it's basically a way of giving extra value because comics are expensive. And uh, we, we, what we tried to do was put in um, short stories, short prose stories, um, which we find through a variety of methods. But a lot of them actually come in cold over the transom. And Tom Pyer's um, concept on that was that back in the early days of comic books, they would tend to have a few of these little short stories that were little detective stories or outer space things, and they were always terrible because they were written at the very last minute by an assistant editor. And the reason they were there was so that the magazine would qualify for second-class mailing privileges. Like, if it, it had to have a page of text. And in later years, those became letter pages, yeah. mostly. Um, but Tom's concept was, what if these were actually good? Imagine that. And actually made them quality. Um, so that's um, that's part of it. Those are, for the most part, not being collected in the trade paperbacks. Yeah. We are putting a lot of them up for free on the website um, as samplers and to sort of lead people back to the um, to the books. I, I wanted to say, like, I, I, I'm, this is an interesting discussion to me because a lot of the publishers here are... Um, are dealing with the um, the sort of trying to deal with the the tradition of comic serialization in different ways and finding new ways to um, to do it. Um, you guys sort of binge them all out. You have the you have the books available in single issues at the same time you put out the trade paperback. You're you're doing a digital approach, putting out the first issue. And I I think there's a there's a certain amount of talk in the comics field about um, the direct market, the decline of the direct market, and too many people, I think, who work, who come out of the comics field, look at bookstores as the salvation of all this, where I started in book publishing, and I really don't look at bookstores as a salvation, um, especially today. I think the trick is to tap all different markets. Um, and there are several reasons why that sort of in the serialized installment format comics is a little bit sticky and some of it's tradition some some of it's just that people like it but some of it is that it actually does give you two chances to sell the material it actually is an, an additional way to make your money back assuming you can get any just reasonable distribution for it at all so it, it's 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 nice to see all the experiments Ahoy was um was launched we decided to do it very very traditionally because we thought 
we had a sort of a, a line that um, that would that would work that way to a degree. Um, and even if the books um, even if the books don't sell huge quantities of single issues, which most of them don't, um, it's still good. Um, it's still good PR for the line. It's still good. It, it's still good to have the materials out. It's still good to have little hits that we can. Uh, we have an excellent publicist, David Hyde, mm -hmm. uh, formerly of DC, and he's very good at getting just getting the individual issues reviewed. Mm -hmm. So we're we're just out there constantly, and that's that helps as much as actually as actually selling the books. All right. You know what? We're, our time is winding oh, down sorry. quickly. Is, are there? Is, can we get a, a question from the audience? Anyone out there want to say? Right here. Mostly for Andrew. Um, why? So, why is it that the that major publishers seem to be mostly focusing on the YA market for comics? And do you think there's going to be a? Do you think the publishers like Harper are going to put are going to put more effort into comics for other uh, age demographics? I actually, I think that right now the, the YA space is one of the spaces that's still, you know, it's still sort of small, actually. Like, uh, you know, some of the top sellers are, what, American-born Chinese, the Mona. Uh, I guess I could say YA and middle grade. Middle grade, that's the one that's like really booming, right? Thanks to, to, to authors like, like Randy Telkemeyer. Um, so I think right now, I, well, so we're looking to, 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 to build on that space, but to also not forget about that YA space and that, even that early reader space where it's sort of untapped or it's starting to get more and more attention. And I, I think, you know, there have been, with publishers like for a second, Scholastic have been willing to sort of take those, those risks and publish some really just good quality comics. Like, you know, even in the last, I would say, Ten, eight, eight months with uh, like Bloom for a second, or or uh, Prince and the Dressmaker. The, the sales are, are there, so the YA space is able to grow. I'm not sure if I'm answering your question, but um, I think that uh, am I answering your question? Yeah, I guess what could be done to get? I guess what could be done to sort of expand that success to adult readers or other demographics? I guess other people can come down. Yeah. Well, the, the, I mean, the market seems to be growing overall. I mean, right now it's just a middle grade wide that's really exploding. And it also has the added benefit of kind of creating a whole new generation of readers. So, I mean, I think what's been interesting is certainly about the, the, the book market, I think, has, has, it, it certainly has been, uh, uh, adding to this, the, the, the growth in children's and YA. But it's also added an explosion of new genres to the category that I think is going to serve it well. In the years to come, also, so that may be where our adult readers uh, come from. And then also, which we didn't get a chance to talk about, was the libraries. I know that's what I was thinking of when you were talking about. Um, who also, uh, we also, who also, are, I think, are going to be focusing more on adult readers. But as I say this, our time has run out. Can I also just say, though, adult readers, a lot of adult readers read YA books. Yeah, this that's is true. That's uh, it, throughout the... Yeah. You know, so some of those sales, those exploding sales in YA, you know, are indeed adult readers. But look, on that note, we're going to have to wind it up. Um, look, thank you for coming out. Thanks to our panel. And uh, as I always say, please uh, read more comments.